The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. I'm delighted that today my my guest is Karen Epstein-Gilboa. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, I know that everybody will be interested to hear what you have to say. For those of you who don't know Dr. Epstein-Gilboa, she is a nurse psychotherapist who has been working with families in the transition to parenting with young children for over 25 years. So she has much professional experience both as a nurse, a childbirth educator, a psychotherapist, and let me tell you, oh, she's also been a La Leche League leader. So trust me, this woman has been around the block a time or two and has some very interesting perspectives to share with you. Now, I'm going to give the audience just a little bit of a backstory as to how I met Dr. Epstein Gilboa, because actually her book just published, which was just actually a little bit after, I became interested in bringing her on the show. So I really didn't know about her book, and we'll talk about the book a little bit later in the show and actually sort of throughout the show, but I published a blog where I talked about how mothers should have the baby at the breast, and this whole idea of other people feeding the baby with milk that, I mean, let's face it, we all know how good human milk is. We don't always know how good human breastfeeding is, and those are two different things. So lo and behold, I took a lot of flack, and I mean a lot of flack. I had to get on my flack jacket. And lo and behold, Dr. Epstein-Gilboa wrote a very nice note, basically, (laughs) Basically, she was the only person that defended me. Everybody else thought I was nuts. So uh, tell us a little bit. I noticed that in the beginning of your book and in your correspondence with me, you mentioned several times physiologic breastfeeding. And I thought, okay, I'm ignorant. I've been in this for upwards of three decades. I know what exclusive breastfeeding is. I know what partial breastfeeding is. I know what token breastfeeding is. The whole Miriam Labak model, I got all that. But uh, I didn't know what physiologic uh, breastfeeding is. So I suspect maybe our audience doesn't either. I know that that will set the stage for what you have to say. So help us with what is physiologic breastfeeding? Okay, I'll do that. First, I just wanted to mention that I'm also a lactation consultant oh, yes, for yes. 30-something years when it was when no one knew what it was. 
So, <laughs> I read on your um, bio since 1988. So, yeah, that, uh, right. that takes back a ways, yes? Yeah, so I've been doing this for, I think, 35 years now. So, physiological breastfeeding. I'm very much into language. Weisinger was the first person who wrote about language and really changed how we talk about breastfeeding. We don't talk about uh, benefits or advantages anymore. We talk about breastfeeding as the term of reference and normal. So I was trying to find a way of talking about breastfeeding as normal, but using a term that actually reflects um, physiology. And so physiological breastfeeding is um, really what the the WHO code speaks about six months, uh, within two hours after birth, uh, exclusive six months, and I would say into early childhood. I don't like two years and beyond. I think that's very confusing. What does Uh that mean? So, and also, um, I would also include particularly the more I read um, work such as Dr. Sarah Buckley's work where she summarizes oh, yeah. yeah, all the hormonal impact, the hormonal impact of a uh, physiological birth. Um, I would, would add um, a physiological birth would, would certainly, um, certainly part of it. Although one can breastfeed physiologically without having a physiological birth, meaning, sure, you know, sure. no medication and so on. So we can absolutely help people fix that. Cause, and you do need to fix it um, because of the, you know, there's a change in the, in the way the hormones are secreted. Um, so that's what I mean. Have I answered that question? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you gave me a perfect in to tell the audience that we're going to have Dr. Buckley on the show uh soon. I, I don't have a date exactly for that, but uh, she is coming certainly this spring for sure. So uh, I'll definitely listen to that. Uh, yes, yes. And, you know, we've had a few anthropologists uh, who have talked about some of the things that you've alluded to, which is this is normal. And I would like to thank you for what you said about the advantages or or benefits, I often, people will call me and say, Marie, can you come and give a talk on the benefits of breastfeeding? No, actually, I can't. It's like talking about the benefits of clean air or the benefits of walking on two feet. You know, it just... exactly. This is like, no, no, no. We got this all backwards. We're comparing breastfeeding to formula feeding when, in fact, breastfeeding is the norm. And I really like it that you, I I like now the idea that you were able to hang a word on there. But I got to tell you, at first, that kind of threw me. I'm like, okay, I really don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) But now that really makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Karen, another thing that you talk about, and I'm sure you could just talk for days on this one topic but you talk about sensitive mothering and sensitive interactions. Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, so I borrowed the term sensitive parenting or, or mothering or fathering from the attachment theory. Attachment uh, uh-huh. theory is uh, one model in developmental psychology that we use to understand um, human development and in that model 
um, it's based on Bowlby's work and Ames' oh, yeah. mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that model, um, uh, a salient or a main uh, precept is that infants, children, um, convey cues, messages about their uh, their state about their needs, their state, uh, their emotional state, their physical state. Parents, um, when one is sensitive or another term within that model, we have many models in developmental psychology, but within that model, I might say that the parents are sensitive or attuned to the cues when the parent uh, notices, interprets, reads, and then responds accurately to the need or or to the message that the child is conveying. So it is it's a, it's a term then borrowed from attachment theory, and it just means, I guess, understanding and responding to your infant or your child's needs in a way that matches uh, what the child is trying to say. Yeah, I always say that. Uh, Babies, children may not have language, but they absolutely communicate what they want. Absolutely. But we can also be sensitive to children who are older, a sensitive parent, a sensitive parent of an adolescent, for example. Mm, Yes. Would Mm -hmm. also understand, you know, when the adolescent is having... Uh, what might be called a temper tantrum in an older, in a younger child, an adolescent is very angry and acting out. The sensitive parent might understand the underlying reason and be able to respond in a sensitive or an attuned manner to that adolescent's uh, behavior rather than, say, responding with anger and then they never get anywhere. So that Mm. sensitivity is not just in infancy, but in infancy and early childhood, we create what is called an internal model. And an internal model um, is sort of like a model in Lego, um, but it's a model of how I see the world, how I see the world from a relational perspective, which means... um, uh, are people good? Is it worthwhile to interact with people? Um, I feel safe because in attachment theory, we talk about security. And do I feel safe? Is this a good world? And a child who has a secure quality of attachment, an internal model that tells them that the world is a secure and good place, is a child who is more likely uh, to go out and have good quality of interaction with others. But to be able to try things, um, you know, cope with difficulties, uh, have initiative. They know that this is a good, safe world, and therefore I'm willing to go out and be in this world, and I I also want to be in interaction. I want to have relationships and so on. So that comes from sensitivity. Karen, uh, we we both kind of jumped from babyhood to adolescenthood, and, and it really sort of highlighted for me, then can you hitch this up for us? How is physiologic breastfeeding 
related to child development. I realize that's a week's long's worth of question. <laughs> We've only got a little more than two minutes here, but can, oh. can you help us to make that connection a little bit better? Well, what I found in my research, and then since doing the research, I keep seeing this over and over again, is physiological breastfeeding is based on infant or child, because children also breastfeed, not only infants. Uh, So infant or child-initiated cues and parental responsiveness to child or infant-initiated cues. Because physiological breastfeeding it stems from the child's need, not a clock, the parent, the young parent of an infant, learns to watch, interpret, and respond at first to cues related to breastfeeding. And because physiological breastfeeding, which is appropriate for human digestion and so on, it is absorbed, digested, and so on very quickly, very rapidly, as it should be, infants tend to cue quite frequently to nurse. They also cue. I mean, breastfeeding is an encompassing behavior. It's an everything behavior. Infants don't nurse just to feed or drink. This is why I never, ever use the word <laughs> feeding. Feeding. Uh-huh. Yeah, never, never, never. Because if if a mother, a new mother, or a mother who's not used to frequent cue, uh, cue um, signs from the infant, uh-huh. mm-hmm, and then the infant has just nurse, they'll say, well, my baby just ate. But breastfeeding, nursing, I know in Australia, they don't like the word nursing because it has to do with nurturing. But that's specifically why I like the word nursing. So in nursing, in physiologically breast-based breastfeeding or nursing, the infant and child tends to cue very frequently. I need to nurse, I need to nurse, I need to nurse very frequently, and the parent then is provided with an opportunity to learn to read, interpret, and respond frequently, and this contributes to the development of sensitive parenting. And People, don't go away. Karen will be right back. We've got to take a break, and I I know that I asked her a week-long question for two minutes here, but uh, we will be back right after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And I have with me today our guest, Dr. Karen Epstein-Gilboa. Just before the break, I really kind of cut you off at the knees there because I was trying to get to break on time. Did I cut you off? Was there some thing that was in your mouth that you just needed to finish up with? Oh, thank you. I was just going to say that sensitive parenting, answering cues accurately, contributes to children's sense of security, and and that's what we were talking about before, this sense of security that enables one to form appropriate relationships, study, learn, go out in the world. So that's what I was going to say there. There's connection between the type of parenting and how one feels about the world. Mm. I'm not sure what I want to ask next because these next two things that I, I want to talk about are related to the what we said last uh, segment. You talk about a reverence in Chapter 12 of your book. You talk about a reverence for physiology. Oh, the parents reverence about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I found in my research was um, there's different reasons or different uh, factors that help parents um, breastfeed or nurse in a physiological manner in our culture that is very much uh, anti. Uh, closeness, uh, our culture is very much into inde- apparent independence, and most certainly our culture does not respect um, 
families who want to continue breastfeeding into early childhood, which is normal. Historically, this is what humans did till about the sure. 1920s. So respect for um, physiology seems to, or reverence for physiology seems to help families continue. And this means um, that the families will talk a lot about um physiological birth, birthing with midwives versus um, physicians. Where I live in in Canada, um, one can choose to either have a, a midwife or a physician. So these families would often choose midwives. They would talk about their births and they would talk about their um, great disappointment when the birth did not go as planned and that is accepted. We don't try and push that under the rug. Then they would talk about the, the, their great respect and admiration of the physiology of, physiology of breastfeeding. So physiological processes such as normal birth, uh, breastfeeding right after birth um, and into early childhood, watching uh, allowing children to develop in accordance with their own individual way of developing uh, is similar to the, and included in that theme, which means accepting children's unique personality, attempting to read cues and to respond to them in accordance to their own specific uh, physiological or um, Needs um, is also part of um, of factors that facilitate that enable parents to continue uh, breastfeeding in a physiological manner. And by the way, I keep saying parents and not just mothers. Um, though I have great respect for mothers and mothers' unique roles, uh, because fathers also play an important role. It's a different role. Um, but they play a role. And that is also included in this theme of physiology. Within mm. respect for physiology, one respects that male and female parents um, have different roles, which means that the male parent, the father, and I know not all families are, are, are male and female partners. We have, of course, um, you know, lesbian and gay parents, but um, in my my research was primarily on heterosexual families, so I can talk more about that. And within those families, the male partners were very respectful of female physiologically based uh, tasks, whereas the female, the mothers, were very respectful of male. Um, Male, physiologically based yes, roles. Yes. No. For example, uh, uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to ask you a little bit about you, when you mentioned maternal roles. I was noticing that several times in the book you mentioned, uh, well, the opposite of, a, of attachment, I suppose, would be separation. And we could define separation, I suppose, in many different ways. But it seems to me that there's an awful lot of pressure these days, at least here in the U.S. I don't know if it's so much so in Canada. But you've got to go back to work. You've got to this. You've got to that. You've got to leave your, your baby with somebody else. And to me, that's all about separation. So I, I guess my question is, how do you help people 
to kind of bridge that that gap between wanting to be separated but wanting to be attached. I, I just think there's a lot of social pressure to be detached from your baby and go back to work. I don't know if you saw, I, I wrote a chapter actually on maternal ambivalence. Oh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that chapter actually is specifically on that topic. So in general, we have a Western culture that is very much focused on apparent independence and patriarchal concepts of uh, separation and lack of connection. A feminist concept is actually interconnection, being with. And so what I saw, uh, you're saying, how how do you help people with that? First of all, I recognize and acknowledge and I allow women to say how difficult it is for them to separate. And I think that that's very rare. Women are, as you said, primarily coaxed to go back to work, leave your child. Oh, you're so wonderful. You do it all. And and in fact, that causes a lot of ambivalence. Thinking about it from a psychotherapeutic point of view, that causes a lot of ambivalence because not all, everybody's different, right? Everybody's different. But there are many women who feel very conflicted about their need to prove that they are the best worker and so on Mm -hmm. and to Mm -hmm. leave their child. So I first, first thing I do is I uh, allow people to talk about the difficulty in separating and I talk about how it where it comes from uh, this concept how it's really patriarchal um I mean, even this concept of sameness and women and men are the same, that also comes from patriarchy. It's failure to to note our difference, failure to note um, how we like to be, how women who, who have just held a baby within their bodies for, and grew a baby for nine months and then the closeness that comes with breastfeeding um, – we we have to help people celebrate that, and you were you were saying people are actually um, reinforced to separate. There's no place to talk about the difficulty. So the first thing I do is talk about the difficulty. Talk about where it comes from. What is the reason that women feel that they must separate while they what makes them silenced about the pain of separation from a child. Um, and then um, finding ways, you know, I know United States and other countries like Israel, for example, they only have three months. I mean, that's horrible. That's one of the main things that people should be working on now is increasing the length of maternity leave, uh, not only for women and mothers or, or for whatever parent has wanted to stay home, but also for children. It is very difficult for children to separate you know how we allow children to cry in daycares that's not Mm. healthy no that's unhealthy that's unhealthy for brain development yes i feel compelled here to say too that i see women who have been put down because they chose not to go back to work Mm -hmm. and what i see in that is hey that's their choice too and if they can financially handle that, or maybe they have to cut down some of their financial obligations or do whatever they, but but to me, they have as much right to pick being home as a woman has to pick going back to work. 
And just a while ago, I talked with a woman who was having her fourth baby, and I was just astonished at how much she was saying that people were basically saying to her, but you're just going to be stuck home with those kids. You are going to be stuck home. You've got too many kids. You're blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. You know, this was a planned pregnancy. And to her, that's okay. And so I guess I just see a lot of push and pull. Ambivalence is a great word. I think that we all find that even with people that are not our children. I know, for instance, that when my mother was very elderly, uh, I felt like there was really the push and pull between being at work, doing work, being focused on work, and then that other part of me that knew that, that family came first. So I really hear you with the part about the ambivalence. Uh, so, so important. Hey, listen, everybody, do not go away. I am here today with psychotherapist Karen Epstein Begilboa. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Karen Gilboa, Karen Epstein Gilboa. Uh, she is the author of Interaction and Relationships in Breastfeeding Families Implications for Practice. It is a brand new publication. And she's here today to talk with us uh, a little bit about what she has found during her research. Karen, uh, help us with uh, the guilt factor. We hear an awful lot about that and the guilt myth. Can you address that? Yes, thank you. All right. Well, we have this myth in our culture that we cannot tell people the truth about specific issues because we might make them feel guilty. Mm. So first of all, I want to tell you that guilt is a healthy feeling and there's nothing wrong with feeling guilt, uh, especially if we provide people with means or people find a way of repairing. But guilt is a feeling that one feels if one does not meet one's own standards. We can't make people feel guilty. It's impossible. Thank you. Thank and, you. Oh. And the myth, the guilt myth, though, it's a myth, right? Because we can't right. make right. people feel guilty. And psychotherapists actually, some of us really love guilt because it gives <laughs> us a way of working. You know, of working, we can figure out how to work with people using that, go, going with that feeling. But the guilt myth, this concept of making feel guilty is very interestingly not about don't tell people not to use car seats, don't tell people, um, I can't think of anything else, because it's mainly about don't tell people that breastfeeding is normal, don't tell people about uh, normal birth, um, don't tell mothers that it's okay if they or fathers if they feel a need to be with their child, don't make people feel guilty. So the guilt myth is primarily directed against people who want to uh, talk about breastfeeding, uh, normal birth, and so on. There's historical reasons why we're mainly focused on, on breastfeeding and birth, um, most people don't know them, and most unfortunately, people still use that idea, don't make mothers feel guilty. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and then we don't provide informed consent, which means informed decision-making means we give true and accurate information about risks. For example, the risks of not breastfeeding. People tell us not to say that in order to not make people feel guilty. But nobody would say that to us if we were, you know, we said, you know, I don't want to talk about the car seat or, or not smoking in the home. The bicycle so, helmet or right, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. And not too long ago, I mean, I remember when I gave birth nearly 35 years ago, um, you couldn't talk about the car seat. Nobody used them. Sure. And now it's commonplace. So we have to remember that when we're thinking about things like other aspects of health, such as, such as physiological breastfeeding. See, this kind of makes me nuts because I don't know how many times I have had other professionals say to me, oh, but you don't want to make the mother feel guilty, do you? And I often say, and I'm not a psychotherapist, uh, I, yeah, I often say, 
I don't think you can make somebody feel anything. You can. This is not a, an emotion that you can just bestow on somebody. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can't. Any emotion. I can't make you feel sad unless the subject I'm talking about um, is is compliant with or is congruent with your own script of what makes you feel sad. So I can't make you feel guilty. Guilt is, is a feeling when one does not meet one's own self-set standards. Mm. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I, I know that mothers are listening to this, but I know that we have some lactation consultants, childbirth educators, nurses, uh, others as well. I am not aware of any research in the past 40 years that has ever shown that telling a mother about breastfeeding makes her feel guilty. Am I correct? Um, well, I'm sure that people have written about it. <laughs> yeah, and they have frequently. I'm sure people have written about it. But it, it, if this topic has been researched properly, yeah. no. No, that's no. what I want to know. Has it been? Re- is there a correlation? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could, you could, you know, in research, sometimes you can prove things that aren't true, right? It depends how you design your research. Um, but no, it's not logical. I mean, if you know psychology, you know how people's minds work. If you understand guilt, then guilt and envy and all these other really interesting feelings then you know that giving information doesn't make people feel guilty but what does make people feel angry is when they find out that information such as risks of not breastfeeding or such as how do I correct um, say you know I, I had a very difficult birth and my birth interfered with my capacity to start breastfeeding properly and then they find out that they were not provided with appropriate information. Yeah, yeah. that's that people I, yeah. angry. 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 I would agree. I have seen that in clinical practice many times. I got a woman who works right in my office one time, and she said, until I came to work for Marie, I didn't realize all of this breastfeeding stuff. And I, I feel like somebody, I believe her words were, screwed me out of what they should have told me. Uh, Karen, I also want to ask you, because this is a subject that I just really ignites my fire, and that is the role of the father. You started to talk to us about that in the first segment. Now, there's a couple of things that jump out at me. As I had my nose in what you have written, I noticed that it it seemed to me that fathers are more focused on what I would call tasky things. And it seems like you were saying that mothers are less focused on the tasky things. So why is it that mothers feel that they need to give their milk in a bottle to the father to feed the baby? And is it part of that needing to do a task? Or is it that they don't know how else to attach to the baby? Clue us in here because this just, it's really hard for me to get my head around. So one of the biggest myths in Western culture is that fathers, in order for fathers to attach, to emotionally attach to their infants or for the infants to emotionally attach to the father, the father must uh, provide pump breast milk or other uh, in a bottle to the infant. This is a myth. It does not 
reflect the infant's mental status, the infant's emotional state, and it does not really help fathers attach her other. It's Mothers are doing it, in my view, because, well, I don't know. In my study, uh, most families thought that it was very strange that I even asked that question. Uh, There was a father, for example, who had five children. He was also a physician. And I said, you know, this was the beginning of my research, right? So I knew less. And I asked him, what do you think about fathers giving a pump breast milk in a bottle? He said, why would they do that? And Mm. so from him, I realized not all fathers think that way. So how can fathers, though, form an emotional attachment? Yeah. Um, Okay, so there's been some wonderful work done on the secretion of oxytocin, which is a hormone uh, that is secreted during birth and enhances the um, contraction of the uterus during birth, the contraction of the uterus during breastfeeding, and also um, facilitates the milk ejection, their letdown reflex. But oxytocin also does something else that's really wonderful, and that causes people to like one another, to attach to one another. And oxytocin is not only secreted during breastfeeding, but it's also secreted during skin-to-skin interaction. There, there's Carter's work and Feldman's work on the secretion of oxytocin and how it makes people feel. And secretion of oxytocin during skin-to-skin interaction. And it turns out that fathers and infants will both secrete oxytocin when the fathers reflect, they imitate breastfeeding, but not by giving giving, um, pump milk in a bottle, but by holding their infant skin to skin, walking with them, holding with them, that enhances, helps attachment from both the father and the child's sense of view, sense of perspective. Um, and it's real. It really helps. From an infant's perspective, receiving pumped milk through a synthetic nipple, which flows much quicker than mother's breast, and distances, because there's a physical distance between the person who provides the bottle and the infant, has no meaning whatsoever to the infant. Receiving pumped milk in a bottle means nothing to the infant. And wow. really, yeah, and I have a big statement. <laughs> well, it's evidence-based. It's evidence-based, yeah, yeah. right? Um, you know, if you understand how infants' brains Work and we understand more and more. There's our more. Um, I love object relations, but now we have all this fabulous work. Um, for example, you know, fabulous work on brain development. And I'll mention Shore's work. Shore, Dr. Alan Shore's work, that when infants and mothers, he looked at mothers in his research, are engaging in a face-to-face interaction, oh. mm-hmm. they will both the neurons, the nerve cells, the brain cells in the prefrontal cortex, in the right prefrontal cortex, that's part of the brain that's thinking and connected to the amygdala and so on, when they are engaging in face-to-face interaction, they will, there will be mutual firing, same firing of brain cells at the same time. So that also causes brain cells to develop. Um, And it also tells us about the connection. So if fathers want to connect and attach and feel good about fathering, do not interrupt physiological breastfeeding 
by having mother interrupt her regular day by pumping or, of course, much worse, giving artificial baby milk. That means nothing to the infant and really minimal, minimal, um, there'll be minical, minimal physiological changes to the father. The father will not secrete oxytocin while giving uh, a bottle, nor will the infant. Okay. If we want mutual you know, mutual firing, they should look at one another, or skin to skin, they will both secrete oxytocin. Certainly just the giving of the bottle is not going to do the job. Hey, everybody, don't go away. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed with Marie Biancuto as your host and Karen Epstein Gilboa as my guest today. Uh, Karen, I totally misspoke about the book because uh, you have another book coming out. Uh, but the one that I had in mind here was the interaction and relationships of breastfeeding families. Uh, tell us about the title of your of your uh, upcoming. No, book. no, it's it's not. It's 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 very very early, so I have nothing to talk about there yet. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I was. Yeah. Okay, so nothing I yet, nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Well, of course, we'll all, that's okay, because then we've all got something this, to look forward to. But my book, Interaction and Relationships in Breastfeeding Families, I think is very unique um, because I say and give a lot of information there about things that people don't write about yet. We are very focused in breastfeeding, in the breastfeeding world, uh, increasingly on the breast milk. Yes, um, yes, and yes. My book is written... Um, from a psychological perspective, all evidence-based, it's based on, on research, um, and talks about the psychology of breastfeeding, and that we don't have a lot of information on. Yeah. So that's how the book is unique. You know, I've um, often said, at least here in America, we've done a good job of selling breast milk, mm-hmm. but we haven't done a very good job of selling breastfeeding. And right we on. have... Oh, yeah. We have more and more of this pump and, and feed Ow. mentality. And to me, it's just not the same. And you really confirmed that in the last segment. Karen, I noticed that you had several case studies. Mm-hmm. And the one that uh, certainly stood out for me was the Amit family. And the story about the twins, I loved the fact that the mother, even when the babies were three or four year children were three or four years old, that she was still nursing them one at a time. Right. I thought that a lot of the interaction that you described between the mother and the father was very interesting. Now, audience, understand, she's got like 30 pages worth of this, uh, this, this case study. But what to you was the most enlightening part of that uh, ongoing interview case study? Um, well, I had many case. I had many case studies, but that case I watched over a few years, and uh-huh. uh, you know what was interest most interesting to me were the changes in the father. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah he, you know, if you look at his um, family background and so on, he did not have a lot of tools for interaction, but was very interested in learning how to interact with children. So he learned a lot by. First observing, and then take first you observe when mom is reading the cues, but then the father starts reading cues for breastfeeding, and then taking his learning from breastfeeding to parenting in general. Yeah. This idea of learning how to read cues um, and then applying them in, in other contexts, uh, applying them outside of breastfeeding, that father became a very warm, engaging, had his moments. His, he, You know, people don't change. They don't become other people. Sure, but sure. they might internalize new c- tools. They might learn how to do things differently. So that was interesting. I also found it very interesting. Um, that mom had four children. The youngest two were twins. Yeah. And I found it interesting um, to watch how she was able to nurse mm-hmm. both those twins, read the cues, and since she already learned how to read cues with her older children, she was always also very very responsive to the older children. 
So you know how the this sensitive parenting child was carried on. Oh, One and she would things, go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, I was just going to say she nursed each. She tried to engage with each twin as if each twin was was a separate. You know, had their yes. own, was alone. It yes. wasn't easy, but uh, she tried to do that. It was very interesting. I was very impressed with how it seemed to me like this mother was just on duty 24 hours a day with all four of her children, but she did not resent that. And when the word sacrifice came up, I thought it was really interesting that she said, well, it is a sacrifice, but I don't really mind the sacrifice. And it reminded me of a saying that I heard some 25 or 30 years ago of, to sacrifice means to give up something for love. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, man, this is what this mother is really exemplifying. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen, in the, really, we've only got about two minutes left here. Um, tell me, I notice that when I see people come to my lactation course, because, of course, they're trying to study for the IBLCE exam and they're trying to get their credits and stuff. I've noticed this for years. So many of them want to become a lactation consultant because breastfeeding has changed their life. Mm-hmm. Can you comment on that from the perspective of being a psychotherapist? Am I am I just like seeing something that isn't there, or do you think that's really had a, a life impact on them, a I life-changing I, event? I don't know how to tell you in a minute, but... <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it, well, it's, you know, hmm, breastfeeding is part of mothering. It's not a separate act. And yeah. the, and, and, you know, the fact that breastfeeding perhaps helped them interact, engage, become involved with this child in a certain way. Uh, therefore, breastfeeding is a big part of their story. I mean, mothering, becoming a mother or a father is, is definitely a life-changing event. And hopefully it is, a, for the most part, positive, right? You just, like Winnicott said, you just have to be good enough. You don't have to be perfect. And so I guess the um, this sense, I mean, mothers in my study found that it was a, a, a reparative experience. Hmm. Um, it enabled them to, to be who they wanted to be. Um, enabled them to feel that they could do things, they could accomplish things that they couldn't accomplish otherwise. Uh, good feelings about oneself, uh, and I'm talking about the self. I'm not even talking about the the relationship, no, no, because no, the relationship the with the child is part of it as well. But absolutely, it makes people feel very differently. It is a life changing event. I would say, in in my own story, I mean, I I was never even interested in breastfeeding before I came became a mother, and then look how involved I became in it. It changed. Yeah. Uh, we need to make sure that we know uh, where to get your book. Uh, just quick, quick, tell us. I assume that it's on Amazon.com, yes? I think so. I'm not sure because we've now uh, moved to Preclaris Publishing because uh-huh. um, Hale is no longer publishing. Okay, so tell I, you what. Uh, we will make sure that on our Facebook and on our website, we will feature your book uh, so that if, People come to my website or Facebook, uh, they should be able to find it. I'll give that uh, to folks. It's uh, uh, www. 
borntobebreastfed.com. Wow, I'm getting a little bit tongue-tied. Alrighty, well, look, at. I swear these hours always go too fast, but that's all the time we have. And before we sign off, I'd like to thank my guest today, Dr. Karen Epstein-Gilboa. Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you so much for your support and your continued downloading of this show. Uh, we'd like to invite all of you to come back and uh, next week and every week. Now, if you're interested in Dr. Gilboa's sto- uh, book, uh, we will feature that. There are other books as well that we have from past guests and make sure that you come to our Facebook Uh, feel free to leave a question for me or for Dr. Epstein Gilboa or any of our uh, former guests we'd love to hear from you if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation remember I'm your source for evidence-based practice and on the web or sometimes in your city you'll find that information at breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's my professional site. And of course, for the radio show, it's born to be breastfed.com. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do what's best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.